Good evening, good morning, or good afternoon, ladies, gentlemen, bros, broettes, bro fluids, and non-bronary people listening to the Mustache Mafia podcast. I'm joined with a friend of the show, and in terms of mafia, uh, mafia terminology, associate of the Mustache Mafia, uh, Brenton Langle. I, I, I love non-bronary. <laughs> yeah, I just made that up. I'm real proud of that one. That's a that's a really good in, introduction. Way better than mine. Um, yeah, I've been a, a friend of the pod for a while. This is, I think, is my second time uh, appearing on the Mustache Mafia, formerly 5 by 5 podcast. Uh, for those of you who do not know me, uh, I am an anarchist. I'm a playwright and comic creator. Um, I'm the author of Snow White Zombie Apocalypse, since we're talking about culture industry, Drek. Um, <laughs> but, oh, no, it's it's pretty good. I've, I've, re I've read the first two issues. They're they're, they're really good. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, Adorno wouldn't like it because Adorno doesn't like anything, but <laughs> I enjoy it, and I'm pretty sure your audience enjoys it. And uh, if, you, if you're not familiar with it, please uh, do yourself a favor and pick it up if you're a fan of the medium. Yeah, please, please do, guys. Uh, we are actually going to be launching a Kickstarter to pay for the creation of issue number three. Um, the sort of, uh, I guess, elevator pitch for it is Snow White wakes up to Prince Charming's kiss 28 days after the zombie apocalypse. Mm. Uh, the seven dwarves are dead. Prince Charming is polyamorous. And um, Snow White is dwarfed in power and experience by Rapunzel, who is Prince Charming's paramour, who's been keeping his, his dumb ass alive. Um, <laughs> in this horrible world and um uh you know she's best described as a kung fu kind of warrior queen goddess so you know fairy tales as usual blood sex kung fu <laughs> gender politics um yeah but anyway so bobby i was really excited when you invited me on here uh but i do right before we do get into it i just want to tell everybody because we are about to launch the kickstarter if you go just google snow white zombie apocalypse kickstarter or look up my uh twitter at brenton lengel um you can find a link uh i'm going to be launching the kickstarter to pay for the creation of the third issue uh, this coming week, probably Monday or Tuesday. And uh, the more people I can get to follow that beforehand, the better. So if anybody's listening to this, please do follow it. Uh, and for those of you who are following along, I'm going to uh, throw the link into the chat uh, mm -hmm. on the video so that uh, you guys can click follow and, and help me with uh, the almighty algorithm. Do it. <laughs> do it now. So, so uh, this week uh, on the Mustache Mafia podcast, it's been a minute since I've been able to post content, guys, if you're listening to this on my channel, and I apologize for that, but we're going to be doing some more regular content, and we've got a lot of uh, associates and made men members of the Mustache Mafia who are going to be contributing to that. I would like to say that uh, Brenton actually did give me the idea for this week's topic. Uh, we, we're doing a great series on homage to Catalonia on his channel where we go through Orwellian literature, uh, chapter by chapter, week by week, and it is uh, incredible. Uh, it's one of the great novels of the 20th century. But this uh, discussion, Brenton gave me the idea because I, I mentioned that I had a teacher that told me that pathological personalities are attracted to pathological politics. And it's something that I've been kind of carrying around since he told me, and I didn't appreciate that that was an actually interesting topic until Brenton gave me the idea. And uh, I found a great quote from a, an excellent playwright named uh, Bertolt Brecht. Uh, Brenton's probably familiar with him. Yeah. Uh, if he's not, he should be. Oh, outstanding. Cool. I get to, I get to not uh, think less of you. No, no. <laughs> Brecht, uh, Brecht was a key part of my theater education. Uh, though, of course, I was educated by liberals. So yeah. they mainly focused on like the, the new stuff that Brecht brought to theater as opposed to really focusing on the ideology behind it and what he was trying to, to accomplish uh, yeah. with epic theater. 
And and a little a little aside for you guys, something uh, very kind of disgusting about Brecht that people um, in the in the academy uh, teach is that they completely gloss over the extreme left politics behind his work and focus on like the marketability of his plays. Mm-hmm. The place that most people are familiar with Brecht in, uh, I guess, America now is a movie called uh, The Lives of Others, which is an incredible film that everyone should watch. But at the same time, it frames Brecht as like an anti-communist, which is like the one problem with the, the, the film. But Ouch. I have this great... I have this... You notice they did the same thing with Orwell. They, they did. They... they always do because it's marketable. And that's something we're going to discuss a little later on. But this quotation um, is going to frame this conversation a little bit. And it's from a play called uh, The Resistible Rise of Arturo Ui. And if you haven't seen that, go out of your way to see it. If you haven't read it, go out of your way to just read the script because it's really hard to find a great production of Brecht in English these days. But this is uh, this is the ending line of the play. It's also in a great movie called uh, Cross of Iron, which is a very obscure film. But this is the last line of the play. It's a play about the uh, rise and fall of Hitler. And it kind of applies to what's going on in the world right now. But uh, here it goes. If we could learn to look instead of gawking, we'd see the horror in the heart of farce. If only we could act instead of talking, we wouldn't always end up on our arse. This was the thing that nearly had us uh, had us mastered. Don't rejoice in his defeat, you men. Although the world stood up and stopped the bastard, the bitch that bore him is in heat again. And I was I've been thinking about this since the election, which was my birthday. And uh, if anyone voted for Biden and helped get Trump out, you gave me a great birthday gift. So thanks, guys. <laughs> but we're kind of rejoicing right now in the defeat of Donald Trump. And we're not realizing that, like Brecht said, the uh, the circumstances that produce Donald Trump are ripe to produce another Donald Trump because nothing has changed about the pathological nature of our politics. Uh, do you have anything yeah. on that one? Yeah. Well, no, no. I'll tell you like straight off the bat. Um, yeah. I was actually kind of trying to bite back jumping in on you because, you know, this is your show. No, today. fire free. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, politics. So one of the things that surprised me when I first got involved with Occupy Wall Street was when I found out that so like psychopaths and sociopaths mm-hmm. make up something like one percent of the population. But if you look at certain professions, uh, particularly professions like Wall Street, um, cop, um, and also um, especially a politician, there's like 10%. <laughs> um, and uh, the, the fact is, is that those with psychopathic and sociopathic personalities are drawn to uh, positions of power and respect and authority. And it's one of the things that kind of got me thinking very much in the realm of anarchism. It's okay. So we've got these people who can do a lot of damage. Um, you know, and I'm not, I'm not saying that everybody who suffers from psychopathic or sociopathic uh, personality traits and neuroatypicality. It's not like you can't be a person or anything. It's not like you can't be good for society. Um, but you know, it, it's a bit dangerous when you, put somebody who you know doesn't have the ability to experience empathy or shame or whatever and you and you pop them into positions of extreme authority they can do a ton of damage so you know i really um when i kind of realized that i was like okay so the fix here obviously is to eliminate these positions or find a way to make them not as attractive or to screen 
what better for these types of personalities or to do like all together, uh, right. which I think would probably be the best way, uh, just a comprehensive approach. But yeah, I'm, I'm not at all surprised that horrible people are drawn to politics, um, you know, and I think in our society where politicians are celebrities in and of themselves and they are this major part of the ruling class. There were other societies where like civil service was not seen the way that it is today. And uh, maybe that they were a little bit more resistant to that sort of infiltration. Right. And the thing about producing uh, a system is that we will always have the kind of pathological personalities that we're discussing in society. Uh, the uh, and and again you're right not all people who suffer from psychopathy or neuroatypical um symptoms are evil people but yeah. we're always going to have people like Donald Trump or like Hitler the um, very very thin analogy that Brecht used uh in in society the problem that we have is that we've got a system marx would call it the uh, the base the base and superstructure that is very conducive to attracting those personalities to avenues of power. So if, if you're listening to this podcast or if you're listening to Brenton's show, you already know that late capitalism is a very, very damaging system. We have a system that incentivizes uh, profit over people. We have a system that incentivizes uh, deregulating companies that behave in very damaging ways to society. We have a system that has as its base the profit motive and the will to dominate and uh, hierarchies. So when politics are created by that base, we have very pathological politics. And those politics will inevitably attract people who have the will to dominate in line with the, with that base. So that sounds like that sounds pretty horrible and pretty, pretty uh, discouraging. Mm -hmm. But the thing that we have to realize is that the situation that we're in, and the system that we've set up isn't inevitable and it isn't uh, inherently natural. These are problems that we have created through political choices from the systems that we've set up. And there are alternatives to that. Now, the specific way that we've produced a system that uh, attracts There's alternative to liberalism. What really? There, there are several alternatives. To <laughs> I thought we were in the end of history. I thought everything oh. was great and nothing oh, would but, change. Uh, you know that that's then that's another problem is that we have a intelligentsia, and I use that word in the loosest possible way, and a political class that does believe that. And again, that's in service to the system that we've set up through political choice. So the things that we have to realize is that this situation is not natural and it's not uh, it's not productive certainly and it's not uh it, it's not something that we can't overcome but another problem that we are facing and i mentioned uh, aderno at the beginning of this in jest but we're facing a culture industry that is an industrial capitalist culture industry and it will reproduce what's profitable over and over and over again so what we've seen in the last four years, five years, really, because the presidential campaign of 2016 really started in 2015, is the culture industry reproducing in our politics something that was incredibly profitable in the um, economic sphere, which is Donald Trump's reality show circus. Yep. So, so when we do that, we create a political situation that attracts people like Donald Trump, reality stars, that are 
predisposed and highly influenced economically and politically to uh, uh, exploit the pathological situations that we've created through our choices. Yeah, no, that, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. I've said before that kind of capitalism is like a machine. It, it Like people will say stuff like they'll say like, oh, you know, the problem isn't capitalism. It, it's bad people who have gotten into, uh, gotten their hands on the levers of power in capitalism. And I've kind of always countered that with capitalism is a system that selects specific people and in, empowers them. Uh, right. you know, to be, you know, it makes them capitalists because they've been successful within the system to a certain degree. And because of the system of incentives and, um, what it winds up doing is it's like, it's a machine that produces leaders, but it produces leaders that are almost guaranteed to be complete and utter monsters. Like, yeah. you know, like the, the, they're, they're clever a lot of the time, not always, but mm -hmm. um, a lot of the time they're clever, but it also kind of selects the most amoral and uh, the most ambitious among us and rewards their amoral quest for money and power with more and more money and power until they can climb to the very heights of our society, like Donald Trump, you know? Ex exactly. But again, the thing that we have to remember is that these are political choices that we make setting up that system in the first place. The culture industry itself uh, is a is a choice, and capitalism reproduces again what's profitable. And in the way that you're talking about, people like Donald Trump are produced because capitalism will replicate itself constantly. We have the illusion of choice a lot of the times in our society. Uh, go to your local grocery store, Seven Eleven, corner store, whatever you've got in your area. Uh, if you're like me and when I lived in Georgia, you might be in a food desert and I'm sorry, but, but go down, go down to your local uh, food distribution center and <laughs> you'll, you'll find, uh, you'll inevitably find the snack aisle and you'll see a hundred different varieties of potato chips, but they're all still essentially potato chip. And that's yeah. kind of the illusion of choice that capitalism produces uh, in our consumer lives and our culture industry, as it became an industrial uh, capitalist model over the last probably since like the 1930s after the advent of mass communication mm -hmm. reproduces that in our politics too. So that's why you, you'll see a lot of your hard left friends and probably a lot of people listening to this are hard left because that's the way you tolerate hearing basically these facts. <laughs> but but, but uh, you'll hear them talking about how the Republicans and the Democrats really resemble each other. That's also a product of our pathological reproductive culture system where the two parties and our political parties in general will reproduce candidates that are similar to each other while uh, taking the th little things that are uh, perceived as profitable in cases of uh, the parties winning elections while stripping away the dialectic and uplifting things about them. So you, you see the Democrats, especially after the 1990s and the Clinton administration, start to strip away the uh, ideology of like the FDR New Deal era while maintaining right. the communicative uh, processes and the communicative properties of that era. That's why you, you hear people like, and it's really crazy when you realize the history behind this, but you see people like Hillary Clinton talking like they're a progressive when mm -hmm. they're really not. Not, <laughs> and, any, not anything close to a progressive. And you know, that was like, that was the Clinton's grift. 
Yes. Like the Clintons kind of drove the American, like, like the American Republican party, they, they kind of drove them insane because what they found in the nineties that was very, very effective was to campaign against radical Republicans while simultaneously co-opting most of their economic ideas and their economic plans. So they were able to capture um, people who, you know, super rich, super wealthy people who who liked the um, you know the the naked capitalism that the um, the naked brutal capitalism that the Republicans were were putting forth, um, but at the same time, kind of wanted a, a a nice happy face on it. And so you got Bill Clinton, the president, who uh, you know played the the saxophone uh, on late night TV, and um, oh God, he did, know, didn't he? He did. He played the saxophone on late night TV and he had the, the affair with um, Monica Lewinsky after sexually harassing and, you know, let's be honest because he was an Epstein candidate, probably raping like a lot of people. Um, allegedly in Minecraft. Alleg allegedly in Minecraft. <laughs> yes, obviously. He's a lawyer with yeah. a lot of power. So we're going to put that with a huge allegedly. But, you know, he did. He flew on Epstein's plane. And, um, you know, one of the things I remember thinking back to that because I was a kid when that whole thing was going on and, you know, the country was, you know, fighting over his uh, impeachment and it was like, they were going after him for lying. If I remember right, like, um, you know, and that's why he had that whole famous, like it, it depends what on what your, of is? Yeah, what the definition of is, is, but um, you know, I, I always thought that that, that scandal was very thin as a kid. Cause I'm like, well, it's just an affair. So right. why, why are people mad about this? But, and this is the thing that that type of affair, I think, would be much more damaging uh, to a Democratic politician like in our current state of things, because not because of the affair itself, but because like she was like freaking 22 at the time. And you got to think, like, remember yourself when you were 22? God, and I do. The, and it's cringy. Yeah. And you imagine the, the 48. 50 year old like uh freaking leader of the free world is creeping on you in i think i've, I think I've seen a movie like that but i don't think it was on youtube <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so like you know his predatory behavior you yeah. know was obvious and this is a, a bit of a thing but again also politics attracts terrible people and if you look at the clinton's history they were always terrible people you know, I think I can say that without an allegedly. <laughs> yeah, no, I, that's that's an opinion, and, it, and I agree with it 100%. He did buy me McDonald's in New York once. I, I guess that's really? one positive. He, he bought everybody in the McDonald's McDonald's, so he gave me, what, $3.50 in exchange for wrecking the economy. But, hey, hey, hey. But thanks, Bill. <laughs> thanks, Bill. But but that, that scandal that you mentioned, uh, it is part of the model of cultural transmission that's destroyed our politics because – that scandal, you're right. There was nothing. There was nothing real about that scandal. It, it was an infidelity, which is not an impeachable offense in any way, and it was the uh, insinuation of lying. But there was there there was nothing there. There is the way that we talk in our modern politics, which is annoying. But the uh, the marketing of the scandal was what the objective was. It wasn't to engage people in an intellectual way and to uh, Get them uplift to them. About like get what them, this uh, affair what, means. Right. It, yeah. 
but it, it but it was to preserve the emotional reaction of disgust from the Republican base. And it, it worked out pretty well for the Republican Party, which I would argue has no actual values, but oh, to yeah. win elections. But I think we've I think we've seen that demonstrated with Donald Trump. Tr- pretty clearly. But the disgust reaction from the base was the goal of that. And if we look at the way that a lot of older people in our society who are much more likely to vote. Actually, uh, in 2012, I did a breakdown of uh, voter demographic data. And mm-hmm. statistically, I'm pretty sure it's still the same. I haven't done the uh, complete homework to to verify this again. But in 20, as of 2012, statistically, the average American voter was most likely to be over 50, not college educated, white and Catholic. Uh, so Michael Moore is actually the picture of the average American voter because you're also statistically likely to be overweight in the United States. But the the goal of the uh, media apparatus in that case was to create a disgust reaction in order to motivate people to vote. And if we look at the way that people get their news a lot, especially older people who are statistically more likely to vote, uh, we see different networks provoking different emotional reactions without actually uplifting people and providing them information. Mm. I would say Fox News is, uh, if you watch Fox, and I have relatives that do, and it is it is very sad, uh, but if you watch, watch somebody watching Tucker Carlson, it, try not to look creepy because that's a weird thing to do, but uh, if you watch someone watching Tucker Carlson, the reaction that they're most likely to be experiencing is disgust, that there's these degenerate Democrats coming to take your toothbrush or whatever yeah. his monologue that night is. Yeah, if to, you're to watching, bring in the brown people and you'll never recognize the country. The country yeah. If you're watching MSNBC, uh, watching somebody watch MSNBC is also super creepy to do, but try to do it subtly. Uh, you can, you can, it's possible. Give them the side eye. Burn the side eye. Uh, there's a lot of YouTube videos for you to do that. But the reaction that you'll see people watching MSNBC is outrage. If you're mm-hmm. watching Maddow, it's like, how dare Trump do whatever he did? It's not informing you about why you should be outraged. It's not informing you about facts necessarily. It's specifically tailoring an entertainment product to provoke to, your emotional reaction. To that specific emotional reaction. Yeah. And you become dependent on these things in order to experience that emotional reaction because you like experiencing emotional reactions to things. You're a playwright, so you know this about art. People really yep. like emotional catharsis. Mm-hmm. And as people more and more become attracted to these very base reproduced capitalist emotional reactions. What we see is a pathological political situation where a candidate doesn't have to be the guy that the founders dreamed of and didn't really almost ever live up to, where it's the enlightened statesman having a debate about the merits of whatever the issue of the day is. Yeah. What we see by, is... By God, I don't agree with you, but I'll uh, I'll fight to the death for your right to say it. Right. The, the fantasy of the Lincoln-Douglas debate, uh, where it's two principled men having an argument. Uh, <laughs> people forget that Douglas was in favor of brutal slavery, but, you know. Uh, but instead, we have a pathological uh, politic that is based on very base emotional reactions that people become dependent on through constant consumption of profitable media. And those political situations attract people like what we just dealt with for the last four years. Uh, And if you think that Donald Trump is unique in this, I highly encourage you to check out your local legislature, your city council, and your congressman. 
Donald Trump is out of the White House, but I live in Florida. God help me and forgive me for my sins. Um, <laughs> the weather's real nice. It's about 80 yeah. today. Uh, <laughs> of, in November. In November. Oh, it's great. Uh, I have not, I'm not shoveling as this, snow. As this planet boils. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, if there's any justice, uh, I'll be fighting giant mosquitoes in the next 20 years with my uh, my AR-15 that's passed out to me by Governor um, Governor Terminator 5. But, oh, yeah. <laughs> but my, my senator is Rick Scott. I live in Ron DeSantis's old district. My congressman is a right-wing lunatic. The mayor <laughs> of my town embraced the same Trump rhetoric that provoked the same emotional reaction in people. So we have a pathological politic that is producing these pathological candidates and government officials that are perpetuating the same politics that produce them because it's profitable for them to reproduce those in order yeah, to maintain power. Because people want emotional catharsis. Correct. You know, uh, this is this is fascinating actually, just because so not just I'm not just trained as a playwright, um, no, but I, I'm also trained as a screenwriter. And you know, I'm trained as a screenwriter by professionals who write for Hollywood. And one of the things that uh, I was taught kind of early on is that certain films essentially um, are about selling a specific emotional state yes. to a lot of people. And that's kind of when, when you're working with this, with the script, one of the things that you first get taught about, you know, I think what they did was they used frozen uh, as an, <laughs> and an, interestingly enough, uh, and I don't think the screenwriters intended this. I think this was a, a product of how the script for Frozen came about because originally Elsa was supposed to be the antagonist. Um, I can actually see that pretty easily. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, she, yeah, she was supposed to be the antagonist and then they wrote Let It Go. And that was supposed to be her villain song about her losing her mind. <laughs> and the song turned out so beautiful and incredible. They were like, this is, oh my God, this is an incredible song. A villain can't sing this song. And they rewrote the whole script around Let It Go. Um, so the, the, the script suddenly had two protagonists. And so instead of the standard like kind of um, hero's journey script, because of the two protagonists, they turned it into a Hegelian dialectic. And literally frozen, if you look at it, it is a dialectic between Elsa, who is closed off, and Emma, I think, who is um, constantly letting it go. And, you know, you have thesis, antithesis, and then by the end, it's synthesis. So here's the thing, though, and this is what I really wanted to bring up about this. Um, one of the things that my screenwriting teacher taught me, he was like, basically like, look, you are writing, say, a Disney movie. And there are certain things that must be in that Disney movie. You can do whatever you want as long as it conforms to a certain set of expectations that people have going into a Disney movie. So you get a bunch of little girls. We've got to have a princess. We've got to have songs. We've got to have a prince. And there must there must be a kiss. Right. And if there's not, those kids are going to lose their, and a lot of adults too, are just going to lose it. The, be, because what they are doing, is it's like the, the promise of the premise has to be fulfilled. Um, so, so yeah, I'm sorry. So continue. It sounds like you want to riff on that. Well, yeah, a little bit. Uh, that's, that's really interesting because great art is supposed to be dialectical in that way. It's supposed mm -hmm. to give you something to think about. It's supposed to uplift you for consuming it. And the dreck that we normally consume, which is not like Snow White Zombie Apocalypse, read that graphic novel, it's amazing. Uh, 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 
would conform to that basic stereotype. And they accidentally, I think that I didn't know this background, but they accidentally made a dialectical picture because they wrote <laughs> a really good song. That's amazing because yeah. Walt Disney in the 1950s and 60s, uh, Adorno specifically wrote about him. So did Horkheimer um, in uh, Dialectic of Enlightenment. Uh, they didn't mention him by name, but later Adorno would actually say that Walt Disney is the most dangerous man in America because of exactly what you were talking about. He was taking, at the time, original folk tales that had dialectical meaning and uplifted people for telling them. Uh, and were Snow sometimes White. horrifying. Sometimes, <laughs> oh, all the time horrifying. I, My mother, um, for her sins, bought me the original Grimm's fairy tales when I was like eight mm -hmm. or nine, and we're reading them, and she's like, there's decapitations in like every one of these. <laughs> there's, at the beginning of, not to keep bringing it back to this, but at the beginning yeah. of Reign of the Blood-Covered King, the, the six-page ash can that we put out because people overfunded the first Kickstarter. Thank you, by the way. Um, literally, I have a character, a peasant in the fields here, and he's literally singing, my mother, she killed me, my father, he ate me, my sister Marlene, gathered all my bones, tied them in a silken scarf, laid them beneath the juniper tree, tweet, tweet, what a beautiful bird am I. <laughs> and now here's the thing, that is word for word taken from the juniper tree, uh, Grimm's fairy tale, like word for word. And I was sitting there because I was like, I knew I wanted this peasant singing something. I'm like, oh, it's got to be something from a fairy tale. And I'm like, are there any songs in fairy tales? That's like one of the only ones. And I'm just like, oh, that's perfect for a zombie story. <laughs> the Witcher 3 did that too. They took some old, um, uh, old songs and put them in the game. But what Walt Disney did that is really pernicious, and I didn't realize it until I was an adult, was he mm -hmm. took all of these uh, essential stories and he stripped away all of the uncomfortable bits from them. And he just kept the marketable parts. And by doing that, over time, we've had, what, two or three generations grow up under the uh, the tyranny of the mouse at this mm -hmm. point? The way that we consume culture is highly influenced by these basic uh, stories that we get. And when you consume enough culture industry produced stuff, it starts to limit your imagination. One of the great things about art, uh, I think you'll probably agree, is that uh, it expands your horizons a little bit when you consume yeah. great art. When I watched uh, The Resistible Rise of a Bultro Ui, which is what we uh, began this show with, uh, that really expanded my horizons because it's about the rise of the Nazi party in Germany from a German's perspective who had to flee. I believe he wrote and wound up writing the play in Helsinki. But uh, when you watch the latest Marvel movie, and I like the occasional Marvel movie because I'm not immune to its charms, you don't really get... Uh, uh, elevated you get uh you get the emotional catharsis of the the standard marvel story guy gets superpower or guy or girl gets superpower uh enemy gets the same superpower battle over a giant blue laser about to destroy the city good triumphs the end snark in between yeah though i will i will point out and i think you're selling marvel a little short here i think um, i just have fatigue yeah no no well i mean here's the thing like um, there's a couple, cause when you mentioned this and when you mentioned what Walt Disney did mm. with stripping out all of the, like, did you ever see Thor Ragnarok? I love Thor Ragnarok yeah. and I, I'll give them credit for that one. Mm -hmm. Thor Ragnarok is a fascinating film. And one of the things that I love about it, uh, it, it both that it's super fun. Um, but also like, and, and spoiler, by the way, it's the same plot. It's the same basic plot as black Panther. Um, yeah. And really, like, what that moment where um, Hela breaks away the 
false narrative that Odin had built up about who the um, uh, who the Acer were, you know, and yes. the, the when she when she and I, I really I saw Thor Ragnarok as a direct refutation and renunciation of white nationalism. Um, down to the fact when they're talking about how, uh, you know, um, uh, Asgard is not a place, it, it's a people and showing up like that. That's us reckoning with the nastiness of our past in many ways. And so, like, I, I feel like Marvel sometimes does rise above what you're talking about. But I will also say there's a lot of movies where they simply don't. Yes. Um, so, so, you know. I think part of them, one of them, you know, was Endgame because they did things very, very different but with um, uh, uh, with Thanos. Um, but, you know, even with Thanos, there was still a lot of super... There's stuff that must happen with regards to a superhero film. Right. Um, so I think people... One of the reasons I think Marvel has been successful is that they have somewhat transcended that... Um, that type of approach to the medium, whereas DC has failed because they have not been able to do that. Yes. And, and DC uh, is probably a better example because almost all of their movies uh, mm -hmm. have completely stripped away the essential nature of those characters. Wonder woman, I would give a, 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 an exception to, because I enjoyed that movie. It might just be me <laughs> enjoying my emotional re or, uh, my catharsis. Uh, I see a comment uh, first guardians of the galaxy. Love those movies too. Uh, yeah. And but it, it, and it's something that uh, I like I should, the second one too. By the oh, way, I, like, oh, both of them. I'm I'm actually looking forward to the third one. But something I should mention here is that it's okay to like mass-produced cultural products. Uh, it's okay to enjoy like uh, uh, a little bit of dreck, but you have to be aware, especially in late capitalism, of the consolidation and uh, pernicious nature of industrially produced culture and what it can do to you. Uh, there's a great Horkheimer passage where he was talking about uh, driving in his car and he realized how pervasive the uh, political broadcast in Germany had become, but he could switch it over and listen to the uh, latest jazz song. So you have choices in that. And that's something uh, that we have to realize is that all of these things, again, this is like the third or fourth time I've mentioned it are not inevitable and they can be overcome over time. Yeah. Uh, Adorno uh, frustratingly didn't give us any practical solutions to the culture industry in his work. Uh, Horkheimer that's, didn't really either. Yeah. Uh, well, that's a thing that unfortunately leftists really get stuck in. Um, it, it is. The left, this is one of the reasons why I don't, even though I tend to agree with the left much more, I, I don't identify myself with the left specifically because one of the things that the, the left tends to have excessively theoretical criticism and they get stuck in such a heavily critical mindset that they only know how to attack and they pretty much only know how to attack like in the realm of ideology they don't know how to fight a war you know right. not that i'm saying they should but a, a metaphorical war yeah a metaphorical yeah. War. and and that is they don't know how to build <laughs> and that's a function of the same process that we've been discussing is that You'll find a lot of people who read a lot of theory, uh, me excluded because I'm wonderful, I'll always listen to my podcast and do what I say. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I will, I will, I will, uh, I will, I will validate your emotional catharsis. But uh, uh, they are looking for that same emotional catharsis that other people get from uh, industrial, fully produced culture by quoting theory at somebody. 
Uh, and that is also a problem because when you get into that mode where you're just looking for the dunk is, I guess, mm -hmm. what we would say nowadays, is that you're looking for that same emotional catharsis that we discussed earlier with the Fox News viewer. Uh, yeah. go on, uh, go on Twitter or Facebook and look in the comment section. And I'm sorry that you had to do that, but, uh, observe the people who are arguing with people and they're not trying to uplift people. They're trying to just get that dunk and that serotonin rush. Right. Yeah. So because certainty, by the way, certainty, like, and feeling certain about something, feeling very self-righteous that yeah. has an effect on the brain, not unlike cocaine and especially people who, I, I saw it happen with a roommate of mine, um, you know, where he, he, he essentially got addicted to raging on the internet. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, I've been a reply event, guy. So yeah. <laughs> as have I, you know, we yeah. all, we all can get sucked into that, but you know, the thing is you've got to remember that you're, you're dealing with a drug, especially when it comes to social media, because these, like you mentioned earlier that, you know, if you're an American, you're more likely to be fat. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, is that that is true. And why is that? Well, it's because the food industry studied the science of addiction and used that science to try to get people to buy more of their mass produced dreck. Similarly, the, um, the social media companies did the same thing and maximized like your smartphone and your computer feed and your social media, not simply to be something that you interacted with, but something that maximized um, your uh, uh, your interaction, you know, that maximized your, your um, what's the word? It's connection. No. Uh, engagement is engagement. the word. Engagement, thank you. Yeah, yeah. entergagement. <laughs> the maximize <laughs> Your, your engagement and as a result they used the science of addiction it's why you can sometimes moderate a social media addiction by turning on grayscale on your iphone instead of or your your android or whatever because the part of the use of the color is part of what addicts you to the phone um, and, and, and they use that same science as the big cable company so if you think you're getting away from that uh that serotonin rush by getting away from the cable companies, you're not. Yeah. And, and we might've had that maybe at the beginning of the internet, maybe like back in the dark Usenet days, if anybody remembers that, but we don't now because we have giant YouTube channels that are produced in the same way as the mainstream culture industry. Yeah. And it's something that you have to be very, very conscious of. It probably has something to do with the fact that like bread tube, like right, right now. And I think this is a, a, a yeah. I've noticed this in some of the groups that I frequent. Um, luckily not the anarchist groups, but the groups, particularly the ones like related to bread tube and yeah. related to kind of the, you know, the sort of um, social media figures, they're kind of melting down into civil war right now um, and just <laughs> pure drama. And the thing is, is that I, I think it's partially a uh, reflection of um, the fact that Trump has now been removed as a threat. Right. And this is a community that came together responding to the threat of Trump and the threat of the alt-right. And now that that's no longer as important, they're trying to find new threats and they're doing what activists do when they fail, um, is that they, they turn that inward and it becomes a purity spiral. Um, and so they're attacking each other and looking for secret Nazbols or, 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 or the, you know, you got people declaring someone like ContraPoints to be transphobic or NB-phobic or a truth gun. <laughs> did or did, did that actually happen? 
That did happen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Supposedly, yeah. And so you have like all this guilt by association and it's these people, because what they've done is they got locked into that mindset of looking, finding like these alt-right lol cows, you know, like Davis Arini and stuff. Actually, and that is, God help me. Oh yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> they, they get locked into that mindset and they focus and they're, they're, they're continually searching for that feeling without really a hundred percent realizing it. And then when they can't get that from attacking the right, they attack the left. Right. Um, you know, and it's, it's, it's incredibly difficult to talk to someone in that headspace because I have had conversations with people where I've tried to get them to think a little bit more broadly. And I realize everyone I talk to when I have those conversations, they are gearing up to get that experience again by finding a way to paint me as Cracker Von Patriarch or Cracker right. Von Transphobe or whatever. I, I I actually I actually was called a reactionary uh, one time for that same reason in a, in a real life conversation, which oh, was God. hilarious. Uh, the The exact words they used was that I was a uh, I was a modernist structuralist, and therefore I was uh, I was a reactionary bad influence on uh, their politics. What? And it was it was a Georgetown philosophy major who didn't know what they were talking about at the time, and uh, uh, that was a that's a trip. That's a whole. That's a whole two-hour podcast on that that conversation. Yeah. but and I, I should I should also preface this by the way. It is very important to not tolerate transphobia. It no, is no, very don't don't tolerate yeah. that at all. Yeah, but you know, at the same time, you also need to make sure that you're you're dosing. We also had a a a, a comment um, from Vince Bird. Uh, the right isn't gone just because we unseated Trump. I hate how people are already talking like the work is done. I agree one thousand percent. He is absolutely right, and I will say this right now. Personally, uh, is the stance of me that uh, there is no alt right in this country. Uh, there are no Trump Republicans in this country. There are mainstream failed right wingers. The failed right wing has been completely in line with Trump for the better part of 100 years. Go yeah. back go back uh, go back like 60 years, you'll find the John Birch Society that was the original mm -hmm. Q. Go back go back uh, Yeah, you the almost, silver shirts. Yeah, um, go, go back 150 I, years, you'll find the KKK that's the original the Charlottesville march. Yeah. This is not new. Or or the silver shirts which were the original proud yeah. boys. The yeah. the Black Legion out in the Midwest that crushed union uh, protesters. This is not new. The failed right wing uh, is a pernicious force in our society that has to be overcome. And the po pathological political situation that we've been talking about that we've produced through late capitalism and a, a capitalized culture industry um, attracts these personalities to positions of power. And that is something extremely dangerous. So I, I would like to uh, we have about 15 minutes left. I would like to discuss how we overcome this because I like to try to end on a positive note because I discuss a lot of depressing continental philosophy and I don't want to leave you guys in a, in a hole. I want to give you, you that. Wanna, you don't want to be those leftists that tell right. you everything is terrible and there's nothing you can do. So right. what's, what's uh, the positive here? The, the positive here is that uh, you can be aware of these things because of the theoretical frameworks that we've been discussing. Uh, you can uh, come to these conclusions on your own, even without reading theory. Uh, theory helps. Uh, the thing that I would suggest that we have to do moving forward is that, uh, and it's something that we do kind of pretty well on the left usually, is that we have to build inclusive spaces for people to have conversations. We have to be extremely conscious that those inclusive spaces, uh, online, offline, wherever, uh, are lifting people up and taking failed right ideology, uh, whatever that failed right ideology is, because the right always fails, and replacing it with something better. 
if you're someone like me and you don't like, say, Jordan Peterson, and I don't, and you'll be probably getting a series on 12 Rules for Life on my channel eventually, okay. and it'll be me being really angry. Uh, you don't want to just dunk on Peterson fans. You want to take the failed ideology that he gives them and replace it with something better. Mm-hmm. You want to be aware of the culture machine that you inhabit. Uh, that that permeates our lives and kind of determines the bounds of our imagination. And you want to overcome that. I personally try to overcome that by doing my best to be a rounded person uh, outside the definitions that the culture industry sets for me. Uh, I, I'm developing some land right now uh, out here in Florida. It's kind of what we do down here. We have a sunshine economy. Uh, I really enjoy actually working with my hands and getting outside. You don't have to do that. That's something that I do because I'm able to. Uh, read read some books, please, America. <laughs> read some freaking books. Uh, read some, take in some art. Not that, a podcast. Uh, yeah, or read. <laughs> Not listen, a YouTube to video. listen to my podcast. Listen to my podcast because okay. I'll do my best to uplift you. Listen to Brenton's show; he'll uplift <laughs> you. Uh, uh, do something that challenges you. Uh, we also have to make sure that, and this is something that we have struggled with since Alexis de Tocqueville in America. We have to work on building a culture that values education and not just education for getting a piece of uh, paper from a university that says that you're qualified to do something, but education that rounds out an individual, that produces a functioning member of society, that produces a person who uh, is trained to think critically about their role in society and uh, society's history and what we have as an ideological goal moving forward. That kind of society and those kind of structures will always favor the left because failed right-wing ideology does not, will not, and um, has never stood up to critical analysis, has never stood up to critical thought, and has never stood up to uh, serious uh, examination in history. So that's something that we have to do. We also have to be aware of our own movements because uh, I'm sure if anyone spent any time in left movements in this country they've encountered some hack frauds. There have been, I'm sure Brenton can list like 50 or 60 people he's met that are hack fraud, quote unquote, leaders of left movements. Yeah. Uh, we just selected one to the White House, <laughs> as a, for instance. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he was better than the other guy, but it's still he not was. a good thing. He was. It's, you know, it was, a, it, I voted for Biden and I, I was happy too. to do it because I, I, I hate Trump and yeah. I just wanted to hurt him personally. <laughs> but, um, you know, at, at the same time, yeah, it was. It, we're in a hostage situation, and yeah. we've been in a hostage situation for a, a very long time. And you know, deal with that problem, and then work towards a, a more long-term solution. Don't get sheepdogged uh, yeah. back into the Democratic Party because they are going to try to do that. Um, and you know, you're also probably going to find like if Trump is in fact out. Um, like uh, you're going to notice that a lot of people, I said this before, I was like, when Trump got into the uh, thing, I was like, hmm, I wonder how many principled libertarians are su- and, and anarcho-capitalists are suddenly just going to become Republicans. And 50%, boom, MAGA, alt-right. And similarly, you know, there's going to be a lot of people that have been for years telling you that they're a socialist, they're a communist, Biden. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you know, uh, that's, that's a symptom both of the imagination that has been set for us. That's part of that situation. And it's also a symptom of our kind of 
uh, inability to pr uh, provide persuasive movements. And that's something that we also have to do. Uh, pers public persuasion is super important. I wouldn't be doing this podcast if I didn't believe that. Uh, yeah, I don't think Brenton would either. Uh, that yeah. is something that we also, as the left, have to work on. Persuasion, persuasion is one of the most difficult things to do uh, in the world because people will come to arguments and will come to your content with an idea in their head already. And you, I, I've seen it like once in my life, and I'm in my early 30s, uh, of somebody actually having a road to Damascus movement. You probably <laughs> won't ever actually see it. But you can well, contribute even if you don't, yeah, you can contribute to it. Even yeah. if you don't see it, I remember. Um, I'll give you my. So, when I first, I, I was posting in some forums when I first really encountered anarchism, like anarchist ideology, and um, I remember I immediately, as a red-blooded American male, was, "We can't have this. This can't <laughs> be a thing," and I proceeded to lock horns and argue with these um, anarchists. And um, one of the anarchists that I argued with. I remember I said uh, to him, I was like, so Thomas Jefferson said, if men were angels, there'd be no need for government. So anarchists say men are angels and therefore there's no need for government. And he said, no, anarchism says if men aren't angels, what's the point of putting some of, some of them in charge of others? And I'm like, Oh, oh crap! It's it's also <laughs> not it's also not like completely disestablishing society, which is the other stereotype of anarchism. Yeah, uh, absolutely, yeah. Anar anarchism. If you talk to actual anarchists, we are annoyingly pro-social <laughs> most of the time, except <laughs> but they are. Well, but, well, they're not really anarchists. But the, but, but the the point is, I didn't change my mind in that moment. Right. It took a year two years after that, that I finally changed my mind. But that thought was it lodged itself in the back of my head and became a part of my worldview because I suddenly realized, uh, crap, he's right. And, um, you know, he was honestly. And some of the stuff that guy said actually made its way into a few of my plays at times because he was very good with the zingers. But, you know, the, the, the point is, is that, um, when someone is persuaded by something, it very rarely happens in the moment, uh, but it, you can contribute to it. It is a dialectic. <laughs> right. And the thing uh, that actually leads me to is one of the closing positive things that I want to close on is that a lot of the things that we're doing now are decades long projects. Pushing the Democratic Party to the left is, is going to be a decades long project. God help us. Getting Medicare law for all is going to be like a decades long project getting sensible environmental progress uh, it really can't afford to be a decades long project but it's what's looking like we're going to do yeah and, and persuading people of the superiority of your idea is going to be a long project and that's something else that the culture industry and our pathological situation right now has kind of taken away from us is the ability to see things in terms of decades-long projects there's the famous quote about the man who plants the tree that he'll never see the shade of mm -hmm. but i want you to take a moment and, and google the notre dame cathedral and you don't have to like the catholic church and the structure that it represents and i certainly don't but i want you to look at the beauty of that architecture and i want you to realize that was almost a century-long project mm -hmm. and thinking in terms of a long-term project was able to accomplish that thinking in terms of long-term projects a uh, hundred years ago there was no medicare there was no Medicaid. There was no Social Security in this country, and unions were basically illegal. Yep, we can and, overcome and people these things. Were, people were, I mean, look up the Harlan County War. Yeah. Um, look up the Battle of Blair Mountain. Like people, hundred years ago, 
Yeah. Now, there's something also that I wanted to bring up because you brought up um, Notre Dame, and I think this ties into this with art and culture. Notre Dame is gorgeous. I've been, I was there when I was a teenager. Um, and, you know, it is hugely beautiful structure that people were able to build uh, over decades. And the thing was, it had fallen into hu a huge amount of disrepair and right. was close to getting torn down. And Victor Hugo wrote The Hunchback of Notre Dame. And that is why, in large part, why we still have The Hunchback. Of, it's why we have Notre Dame today, because of that novel. Um, and the thing is, is that art, there's a great, if, if you look up um, Alan Moore, look up like Alan Moore on magic. And Alan Moore, uh, brilliant comic art, artist and or, uh, writer, um, wrote V for Vendetta, not the liberal movie. <laughs> um, but what he talks about essentially is, is that the role that an artist actually should fulfill in society is the role of the shaman, the role of the magician, because what is magic when you look at it? It is the ability to create a change in consciousness through the manipulation and creation of symbols. Um, and if you look at like in our, in our fiction, when people show magic on TV, that's really what they're doing. Like even we talked about the Witcher earlier yeah. and what his magic comes from signs. He manipulates a symbol to create a change within physical reality. Um, according to Alan Moore, uh, this is essentially the artist's role and artists have been tricked and sold short into by capitalism, by the way, yes. into presenting ourselves as mere entertainers um when in fact you know our role is much more we are the people that stand outside of society and um you know provide a a much needed perspective to the people who are living within society within the pale we are beyond the pale for the people who are living within the pale so that we can all you know inhabit and drive this crazy machine that is human life and human society. Right. So make your art kids. Uh, yeah. Seriously. Like it, whatever your art is, just, just do it and make sure that it's something that, well, actually just do it, just do it and see yeah. what happens. Uh, even if I'll tell you, even if it's garbage, yeah. like one, you get better at it, but like the difference between a professional artist and an amateur artist is the professional creates a lot more garbage. <laughs> yeah. I, I, st I still read my immortal guys. So I mean, like, like, and like hey, my immortal yeah, my immortal taps into some, some something, something, <laughs> <There's> a... <laughs> something in my reptile brain. Uh, so, so kind of in conclusion, we've, we've seen how we're living in a pathological uh, state right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, we've seen kind of how we've created that through late capitalism, through building a, a, a system that incentivizes profit and replication above all else that creates itself an industrial culture industry that limits our imagination and replicates itself constantly. And as it's replicated, it, it's like a copy. It just becomes less and less of the original and more and more of the basic. And we've seen that we can overcome that. This is not something that is uh, natural. This is not something that is inevitable. This is something that we can in our everyday lives kind of do just a little bit to overcome. If you make the world just a little bit brighter, uh, if I've made your world a little bit brighter after hearing this, then, then your work is accomplished. And uh, you can continue to work to make the world a little bit brighter in other ways. 
I agree. And yeah. I, I'm actually going to kind of close with one of, with a quote that you made me think of, and I've Outstanding. Uh, brought this out on my channel before, but from a, from the Wendell Berry poem, The Mad Farmer uh, Liberation oh, Front Manifesto, is uh, once the generals and the politicos can predict the motions of your mind, lose it. Leave it as a sign to mark the false trail the way you didn't go. Be like the fox who makes more tracks than is necessary and some leading in the wrong direction. Practice resurrection. <laughs> and also, by the way, in that poem, he talks about your crop being the forest that you did not plant, that you will not <laughs> live to harvest. See, I called it uh, psychic. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, you know, the, the fact is, is that, you know, this... And sometimes, for those of you who haven't seen my stuff, who are following me because this is your podcast, I, I talk a lot about philosophy and Buddhist philosophy and stuff. And a lot of what we've been talking about with our kind of positive step forward um, is sort of a natural law that we're all talking around. In, in my Buddhist sect, we we talk about the uh, nam myoho renge kyo is how it's it's expressed. But this is something that all people at all times and all cultures have always had access to. It's just really hard to talk about and think about. Um, and you know, you can find out more about that. Um, I assure you, it's it's not woo. I know it might sound like it, but that's because you're racist. <laughs> we, we, we should do. I really, uh, I really need you to read uh, some Schopenhauer, so you can. Uh, I, I've never actually discussed Schopenhauer with a Buddhist. And I'd, mm -hmm. I'd love to do that because uh, <laughs> I would love to. Yeah. Cause Schopenhauer has some incredible things. Okay. So yeah. I just, by the way, I got a um, thing from a soul for nine 99 took my mom's credit card. Like you told me to here you go, bro, dude, I don't want money from your mom's credit card. Um, I please don't do that. If that is in fact money from her, it is a joke good joke but but please you know I, I appreciate the support but um yeah don't steal for me <laughs> and, and right now the only way that the mustache mafia is monetized is secret soros moon platinum at our illuminati space mason uh patreon you see and to access that there is a computer in washington dc that's connected to a computer in tel aviv that's connected to a computer in moscow that's connected to a computer in nebraska and that is taking your precious bodily fluids and turning it into secret Soros uh, moon platinum to fund our operations. And if you don't know how to access it, you don't know how to access it, kids. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, so please yeah. do not uh, do not spend your your mom's hard earned money on definitely this don't shift. do that. Just Illuminati space mason uh, platinum only. <laughs> so uh, I think we're coming to the end and uh, I'm going to thank Brenton for being an associate of the Mustache Mafia. Congratulations. Uh, a couple more appearances and you'll be a main member if you like. Uh, we'll have a little ceremony. You got to uh, burn a picture of uh, Hegel <laughs> and take, take, take an oath of secrecy. Uh, it's, it's, a, yeah. it's a long process that I haven't made up yet. Uh, thanks guys for listening uh, to this week. Uh, I hope this uh, the talk was productive for anybody that listened to it and uh, tune into my show and tune into Brenton's show if you get the chance and don't steal your mom's credit cards. I can't believe I have to tell people this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we have, it's all right. She's a landlord. Yeah. She's a landlord, but she's also your mom. Don't damage relationships <laughs> with important for, for people you don't know on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. It's really weird. That's, that's exactly like the thing that we've been talking about for the better part of an hour, not doing. So I, I'm feeling like, um, I'm feeling like Socrates right now. I'm going from Socrates 
uh, and I'm gradually drifting to Diogenes in my <laughs> my level yeah. of snark. So don't Absolutely. don't make me full go full Diogenes, kids. You know, it's it's funny also too, because like with with regards to landlords, like landlordism is parasitism on our society. Um, <laughs> Look but up also, what Adam Smith said about landlords. Yeah, but also like one of the reasons that I uh, was not ground into. Um, you know, absolute poverty by landlords in New York was I had a friend who was a landlord that put me up uh, for free in one of his places for like uh, six months. Um, you know, uh, so it's not always terrible. Like, but no, then I again, landlords just solved the problem they created. So maybe it is. I don't know. I, I, I think Michael Brooks actually said it really well. I don't know if he was quoting somebody, but uh, that's where I heard it, where he said, be ruthless to systems, but be kind to people. There you go. Be ruthless that, to systems and be kind to people. So be kind to your mom. And yes. um, yeah, I don't know how YouTube works, so I can probably refund that uh, $9.99 if I can figure it out. Right. Um, I'm, I'm again, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping you're joking, but yeah. Okay. So guys, um, I, do you want to plug your pluggables? We're at an hour and I got another podcast. Yeah, of course, of course, of course. Uh, so if you're listening to this on my channel, congratulations. Welcome to mustache mafia. I'm mustache mafia on YouTube. I'm a great, cool little logo. I'm mustache mafia on SoundCloud. I'm mustache Bob two, not one. I don't know who the mustache Bob one is on Twitter. If you know who mustache Bob one is, please inform me because there can be only one and we will have a duel on top of a skyscraper. Uh, in Minecraft. Uh, <laughs> uh, Brenton, uh, please, uh, I'm sure that uh, I have a smaller audience right now than you, but I will be bigger than Chapo Trap House soon. Um, uh, please plug your no, stuff. No, no, you're bigger than Chapo Trap House right now. That's... I really need to lose weight. <laughs> um, yeah, and you know, check check that out. Also, I will be jumping onto another the communist versus libertarian podcast as soon as this is over. So please do keep an uh, an eye on that. Oh, they're doing a they're doing a podcast now. They're yeah yeah they invited this is like the second issue but they invited me on I don't know if any libertarians will be on it because we did the communist versus libertarians um, uh, among us stream and there were none on <laughs> there were no libertarians it was just <laughs> communists and they don't want to work as a collective to find the imposter but thank you <laughs> yeah. uh, and Sol thank you I'm glad for that you admitted it was a joke. Um, yeah. So anyway, dude, this has been great. Um, yeah. I guess I, I'm not going to close out your podcast. So do you have anything? Outstanding. So that's, that's the mustache mafia podcast for this week, guys. Uh, I invite you to engage me in the comments or on Twitter. I probably read everything. Maybe I don't, maybe I do find out, uh, join the conversation. If you think I'm wrong about something, if you think Brenton's wrong about something, please let me know. I will happily engage with, uh, anyone who, uh, comes for an intellectual, interesting conversation. Uh, Listen to my show. Listen to Brenton's show. Uh, make sure that you are advancing the dialectic every day as much as you possibly can. And Absolutely. thanks for listening. And we'll see. We'll see you real soon, guys. Yeah. And what I'll say is, um, you know, you can find me. Just Google my name, Brenton Langle. Brenton Langle on YouTube. Um, uh, check out Snow White Zombie Apocalypse Number Three. The Kickstarter is about to launch. Uh, the link is in the uh, here. And also, if anybody, some people in chat asked uh, if the mustache mafia the link for both the back episodes of mustache mafia and for the mustache mafia youtube channel which is new 
uh, is in the description and uh, definitely uh, follow those. So yeah, thank you guys very much. And um, I will catch you on the flip side. Uh, definitely pop over to the Communist versus Libertarian podcast, which will be starting in two minutes on this <laughs> channel. I, I will be smoking a cigar and listening to that. And I highly encourage anyone who's listening right now to do the same. Sounds like fun. All right. All right. Out.